0: One of the first classes I took in college was called Introduction to Computers. Uh, The code that was used to enroll in the class was something like ComSci 101. The 101 designation was to inform the enrollees that it was a basic computer class. In this class, we wouldn't be writing computer programs, building networks or putting computers together. Instead, we would be learning the basics about how a computer worked and how to use it. And that's exactly what the class was. Uh the, the day the class began, the teacher held up a mouse and said, if you look on the computer monitor in front of you, you'll see there's a little white arrow somewhere on the screen. That's called a pointer. And this thing I have in my hand and you have on your desk controls it. And it's called a mouse. Now, the class was recommended for all majors and it was required for computer majors. And the reason the class was either recommended or required was that in order to do anything on a computer, you would have to repeatedly do these basic things that we learned in that class. That was true for those who would never use the computer for more than topping up a, a term paper as it was for those who would use a computer to write programs and build networks. I use the things that we learned in that class that we did in that class pretty much every day of my life. Now, the things that we're going to talk about from the Bible today, they are the one on one level basics of being a disciple Of Jesus, right? These things are stuff. We're going to use this all of the time. We'll never outgrow it. We'll always need it. And we're talking about going deeper with Jesus. And what we've got to understand is to go deeper with Jesus, we do have to master the basics. We we have to master the basics before we can move on. So open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter five. Verse one is where we're going to start. That's page seven eighty four in a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's word. Luke 5 and 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And as they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish what they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you shall catch men. So when they had brought the boats to land, they forsook all that they had. And they followed him. title of the message this morning is Discipleship 101. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we come today with a great desire to learn these very basic things about what it means to follow Jesus and to be his disciple. Lord, these are things that we're going to use all the time in our lives. And, Lord, we do need to master them. So today, let your Holy Spirit come. And, and Lord, I know all of this stuff is going to be stuff we've heard for in the past. And, Lord, it's not really anything new. And, and the temptation for us in this is going to be to just kind of tune out and not really pay attention because we've heard it before. But, God, you know how important the basic things are. You know how much we need them and how much we need to be reminded of them, to have our minds and our hearts stirred up about their importance. So today, let your Holy Spirit come and let him continue Poke us and prod us and keep us from tuning out, from from just kind of going through the motions of being here today. Let your Holy Spirit take your Word and to use it in our lives and to bring the change that's needed, Father. None of us are as much like Jesus as we ought to be or as we want to be, so we do need your Word and your Spirit to work together to help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to transform us, to better enable us to go out and be lights that shine brightly for him. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. I don't want to be a hindrance in any way. Let my attitude be right, my words be right. Let everything be according to what you would have done. Be glorified in this time. Use this, Father, to change us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, and just... Make us who you want us to be. We love you. We praise you for everything. And we ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Which you may be seated. Now, as I said, these what we're talking about today are the basics of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why it is Discipleship 101. And when we talk about going deeper with Jesus, we, we often we want to look at, well, I guess what you say, deeper things. But we don't get to the deep things until we master the basic things. It's like in the computer class. You don't start computer taking computer classes by going straight into programming classes. You have to first be sure that you know how to operate a mouse. If you can't operate the mouse, turn the computer on, shut it down and operate the basics of that. You'll not build a network and you'll not write a program. So you have to learn the basics and it's the basics that become the foundation that builds you on into deeper things. That's what we're looking at today. These are basic things that we will use every day of of our lives if we are disciples of Jesus Christ. There will never come a time where we don't use them. Well, no matter how, how deep and how mature we get in our relationship with Jesus Christ, these are things that we will need every moment of every day of our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. And then we will build on these things and that will launch us into the, the deeper water, so to speak, of the things of God, of what we're supposed to do. Now this passage, Jesus is calling his disciples and in calling his disciples, the the way it goes, I'm not going to say it's a step by step way that it works, but it really it gives us a, a solid picture of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is, because that's something we often don't know. I mean, we may know the idea that. Disciple is used in the Bible, but we typically, a lot of times, we think, well, a disciple, that was, that was these guys, right? That was the 12th. But you and I, we're meant to be disciples of Jesus Christ as well. We, we are disciples of Jesus Christ every bit as much as the people here were disciples of Jesus Christ. And if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, then what does that mean we're supposed to be? What does that mean is supposed to happen in our lives? So a disciple, disciples of Jesus Follow Jesus, they're changed by Jesus and they're committed to the mission of Jesus. Right. That's what that's what we see in this passage, that disciples of Jesus follow Jesus. They're changed by Jesus and they are committed to the mission of Jesus. Right. And there are four aspects of of the way that we follow Jesus or change by Jesus and become committed to the mission of Jesus that this passage teaches us. And the first is we learn from Jesus. This is, again, a very basic thing. We talked last week about the the need for deep disciples, how important the word is to our life. We never get out of that. There will never come a time in our lives where we do not need to, to be in God's word. But if you look at verse one of chapter five, it says, so it was that the multitude pressed about to hear the word of God. Right now, the multitude, so this is more than one or two people and they are pressing about. So have you ever been like at a concert or something like that? Not, and I mean, Southern Gospel concert, I'm talking about another kind of concert where there's people up and they're moving around and you kind of feel pressed and pushed and everybody's trying to get closer here and they're trying to get up closer or maybe at a comic con or something where there's somebody famous there and you're trying to get up close to get an autograph to meet them. And there's just crowds of people pressing and pushing and, and just all around. That's the picture here. Right? It's not the picture of two or three people sitting down, kind of leisurely fishing, listening into what Jesus has to say. These people are hungry for the word. They desire to hear what Jesus has. They want to learn from Jesus. And so they are pressing in and, and going deeper and deeper so they can learn more and more about him. Now, in the process, there are so many people there that Jesus has, and they're coming so close that it's making it hard for the people in the back to be able to hear what Jesus is saying. So he gets in a boat and he asks Peter to push out a little bit away from the crowd into the shallow part of the water. Then he sits down and he begins to teach the people kind of in an amphitheater kind of a setting. And so. In order for them to first, this is the very beginning, the call of the disciples. These people are going to make decisions about whether they're going to follow Jesus. And what they do is they start by learning from Jesus. I mean, that's the very basic thing that they have to begin with. But if they want to know how to live for Jesus, they want to know what he's about, what he wants them to do. They have to listen. They have to learn from who he is and to learn what he wants them to do. Now, you and I. We have to learn from Jesus as well. I mean, that's not something we ever outgrow. When you think about learning from Jesus, one something to remember is that when Jesus gives the call, the call of the gospel, it is a call to come and learn from him. But if I were to ask you, Jesus says to, to come and to lay your burdens down, to take my yoke upon you. We know that verse, right? But do we often remember that a part of that is to take my yoke upon you and learn from me? He he calls us, the call to come to Jesus, it is a call to take his yoke. It is a call to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. But it's also a call to learn from him. Now, I I like that it doesn't say learn about him. It says learn from him. Jesus is our teacher. He is our primary teacher. And we need to learn from him constantly in our lives. Now, to learn from Jesus, of course, we have to be in the word, right? Because it's unlikely that Jesus is going to appear and begin to talk to us in that way. But he's given us a book that has detailed who he is and what he's like. He has given us a book and he's given us a spirit that makes the book living and active so that it deals about the situations in our lives. So in order to be a disciple of Jesus, we have to learn from him, to learn from him. We have to to be in the book that's about him now to be in the book. It it is a twofold thing. One, it is me personally getting in the Bible and reading it and learning from it and and seeing who Jesus is and what Jesus did. But at the same time, it is also being where that word is proclaimed. It is being where the word is taught We will always need to gather with other believers and be taught the word. And we will always need to be alone with ourselves and the word and to study it ourselves. That all of that is a part of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, when we read the Bible, particularly the Gospels, and we're trying to learn from Jesus, we ask ourselves some questions so that we can better understand. Right. So we ask ourselves things like, what were Jesus's values? Right, when you look at his life, you read the Gospels, what did Jesus prioritize his life around? What were the values? What was most important to him? What was important in his teaching? What was important in his actions? What was important in his life? Right? What were Jesus' priorities? Right? If, if there were multiple things that needed to be done, which one did Jesus do first? What does that say about what Jesus prioritized in how to live and how to act and how to minister as a servant of Most High God? What were Jesus' attitudes? Right? You know, Jesus, he didn't just have one attitude, did he? Sometimes he was kind and compassionate. Sometimes he was loving. Sometimes he was pointed. At times he may well have even been considered, might say he was harsh at times. Why? Why did he have those attitudes? Who did he have those attitudes with? What actions did Jesus take? I mean, as he lived on the earth and ministered, he did things. What did he do? Why did he do them? And think beyond like he did miracles. Because if we say ourselves, well, Jesus did miracles. That doesn't have anything to do with me because I can't do miracles. What kind of miracles did he do? What did those miracles accomplish? Why did he do those miracles at that time? We want to know those things. How did Jesus react to stressors? You know, Jesus dealt with difficult people. Jesus dealt with storms. Jesus dealt with temptations. Jesus dealt with things that would the people that assaulted him and hated him and and tried to trick him up. How did he react to those sort of things? How did Jesus treat people? Jesus went out and about. He he always was among people, multitudes of people, as we see here. How did he act? When it talks about him being compassionate, what does that mean? Why is it significant? How did Jesus treat sinners? How did Jesus treat self-righteous people? How did Jesus treat those that were trying to learn and to follow him? How did Jesus treat people? And then what kind of relationships did Jesus have? Again, Jesus didn't minister as a lone wolf walking around on his own. He didn't need nobody ever. He was always around people. He, he, he had disciples. He had friends. He had people that supported him. He went to people's houses. He how did, he, how did he treat them? What kind of relationships did he have with those people? Now, the goal of this, of asking these sort of questions, it's not just to know what Jesus did, but how we can emulate that, right? So, I, I see what Jesus' values were. How do my values line up with that? And how can I bring my values into line with Jesus' values if, if they're not? I see here's what Jesus prioritized in his life? Is that reflected in my priorities? And if not, how can I bring my priorities so that they're in line and like Jesus? Right? Because the goal is to be changed, right? The goal is to be like Jesus. What kind of attitudes did Jesus have? Okay, how are my attitudes? Are they like Jesus's? And if not, what do I need to do to get them brought in to line with that? What did Jesus do? Okay. Do I do the same sort of things that Jesus did? Again, we're not talking miracles. Don't think in terms of, well, Jesus multiplied loaves and fish and I can't do that. Why did he do it? Who was it for? How can I be, do things similar to what Jesus did? How did Jesus react to difficult people? How did he react to stressful situations? How do I react to difficult people? How do I react to stressful situations? Is it in line with the way Jesus did? If not, what do I need to do to bring it into line? How did Jesus treat people? Do I treat people the same way Jesus did? If not, what do I need to do to change that? What kind of relationships did Jesus have? Do I have the same sort of relationships that he did? If not, what do I need to do? Right, asking these sort of questions, it helps us to learn from Jesus. It helps us to understand more than just facts and figures, so to speak. Um... Something we often do, at least we've done, is when we talk about learning, we, we focused on memorizing facts. And here's what I mean. We memorize the names of the twelve sons of Jacob. And we memorize them in order. And we can even put them with the, the, the mom who bore them. And that's neat. But how's that going to help me be like Jesus? How's that going to help my values, priorities, attitudes, actions, reactions, where I treat people, the relationships I have? We memorize the kings of Israel in order. Okay, that's great. That's neat. How's that going to help? Right? The point of getting in the book, it's not just to have facts that we know that we can pull out and win a trivia contest. I win Bible trivia because I know these obscure facts. The goal of getting in the word is so that we can say, my values aren't like Jesus's and I want to get that fixed. My priorities aren't like Jesus's and I want to get that fixed. Right. We learn. We grow. We change. We do what we can to help ourselves become like Jesus. Now, to do this, we need both. We do need the time in the word, but we need the interaction of being taught. And here's why. Any one of us can be wrong about anything. Any one of us can read a passage and come to a wrong conclusion about it. And if the only input I ever get about what the Bible says and what the Bible means is mine. Then I am never going to be challenged about what I believe. I'm never going to be challenged about why I believe it. And if I'm wrong, I will never be challenged to change my point of view to fix it. But we all, 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 me, you, all of us, we need both to learn from Jesus. We need our personal time in the word asking these sort of questions. And then we need a time in church where the word is taught so that we can be challenged and have another perspective and another idea on what the word says. And all of this, this is the part of the way that Jesus changes us. This is part of the way that we follow Jesus. This is part of what leads us to getting involved in the mission of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus follows Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. And we must learn from Jesus if we're going to do that. Secondly, we want to learn from Jesus, but secondly, we, we have to live by faith in Jesus. Jesus. Now Jesus gets in the boat and he tells Simon to push out into the shallows. Simon goes out a little bit in the shallows. He no hesitation at all, and we'll talk about this more in a minute. He pushes out and he just sort of sits there while Jesus teaches and he listens and he learns from Jesus. When Jesus concludes his teaching, he says to Simon, "Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch." Simon answers. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, Jesus is a carpenter and a teacher. Simon is a professional fisherman. And by toiled all night, was that was when you fished. Simon had spent, and his partners had spent all night, casting the net, pulling it in, straightening it up. Casting the net, pulling it in, straightening it up. And they had done that all night long. They had caught nothing. And now here Jesus is. A carpenter and a teacher. Not a fisherman. Telling them. Go out in the middle of the day. When nobody fishes. And nobody catches fish. And throw out your net. That you just spent cleaning. Remember they were cleaning the nets when they got there. They were washing their nets in verse 1. You've just got them fixed and cleaned. Hey. Let's toss them back in the water again. For a catch of fish. Now. Now. Simon rightly says, we've toiled all night and we ain't caught nothing, right? He understands this is not the way it works. But notice his next words. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. That, that is a statement of faith, is what Simon is doing. He is speaking his faith. I, I know, naturally, this isn't going to work, Jesus. But because you said to, I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to do what it is that you have said for me to do. As we begin to try to be disciples for Jesus... We have to walk by faith. Faith is, is always a part of what we do. And, and the temptation for us is the temptation that Simon speaks at first. We have fished all night and caught no fishes. It doesn't make sense to do this. As I see it and as I can understand it in my mind, this is not something That I should do. This is not something that will yield any results. This is not something that will do anything of any value. Because as I understand it and as I can see it, it's not going to work. But walking by faith, it's not walking by our own understanding. It's not walking by what we can see. Right? We're all familiar with Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. But right now to lean in your own understanding, that's basically to say I fished all night and caught no fish. It doesn't make sense. I know how to fish. I'm a professional fisherman. Most likely, my dad was a professional fisherman. And it doesn't make any sense for fishermen to fish during the day, especially when we caught nothing all night. My understanding of how fishing works says this is a waste of time. That's what walking by your own understanding is, leaning on your own understanding, is when the Lord leads you to do something, whether through the word or through an impression of the Spirit, to say, in my mind, I can't reconcile how that would work out. I can't see how that would be a good idea. I can't imagine the way that I'm supposed to do this. I can't see how I would ever be able to accomplish this. Now, there's a New Testament equivalent to this, and it says we walk by faith and not by sight. That's the same concept. To walk by sight is basically the same concept of, in my own understanding, I can see it and I can see how it would work and I can see what needs to be done and I can see that I can't do it. I can see in my own life I'm not gifted in that way. I can see in my own life I'm not a good enough speaker. I can see in my own life that I don't have the patience for it. I can see in my own life I don't have enough money to give it away. I can see in my own life it would make me unhappy to spend my time doing this. I can see. And so I'm not. That's walking by sight. But what we're called on to do is to trust the Lord with all our heart and then to walk by faith. And to walk by faith. It is something that we have to say, I I can't see it. I can't see how this would ever work. But at your word, I'm going to do it. To walk by faith is to say, I can't understand why you would ask me to do it. I can't understand how this would ever work. I can't understand how I'm going to be able to pay my bills if I give this. But at your word, I'm going to do it. Now, walking by faith is always an element of risk. And there's always an element of discomfort that goes along with it. The risk is in walking by faith requires Jesus to come through on our behalf. walking by faith isn't doing what I can do naturally. It's doing what I can't do naturally so that Jesus has to come alongside. And if he doesn't do something, I am going to fail. Peter's situation... You did not fish during the day. For Peter to cast out the net, there was a risk involved because there was it should not work. It should not happen. If Jesus didn't do something miraculous when that net hit the water, all Peter did was dirty, clean nets. And there's a risk of discomfort because Or there's a bit of discomfort because anytime we're doing something that's beyond our capabilities, anytime we're doing something that's out of our comfort zone, we're discomforted by that, aren't we? And, And walking by faith is always going to take us outside of our comfort zone. In my comfort zone, I don't need faith in my comfort zone. I really don't need Jesus in my comfort zone. I can do everything that needs to be done. But Jesus is always going to lead me out of my comfort zone into a place that is beyond my capabilities so that I have to really risk everything on him. And it is uncomfortable to put myself in a position where if Jesus does not come through, it is going to fail because I am completely unable to do it on my own. For Peter, casting the net out, think about where he's at. He is in front of multitudes of people who are watching him. They know he has fished all night and caught no fishes. They know that he is a professional fisherman. And now they're going to watch him toss his net out in the middle of the day when no one fished and caught fish. What's going to happen if Jesus doesn't come through? And he goes back to the shoreline and they're going to be like, so what was that all about? So a carpenter told you to toss your fish out and you did it or toss your net out and you did it. Interesting. He could, he could very much end up looking stupid in front of all of these people if Jesus doesn't come through. But he does it. That's, that's walking by faith. It's putting ourselves in a position. Not because I just say, I'm going to go get on top of the building and jump off and Jesus is going to give me the ability to fly. That's not it. It's more like Peter walking on the water. Right? Peter didn't just jump out of the boat and say, catch me, Jesus. What did he do? Lord, if it's really you, invite me to come. Jesus said, it's me. Come on. Then Peter stepped out and walked on the water. Faith isn't me just saying, I'm just going to do this and it's my idea and God's going to fix it all. Faith is responding to what Jesus has said and saying, I don't understand how it'll work. I can't see how it's going to come to pass. This is what he said. Nevertheless, it your word, I'm going to do it. And it's risky. And it's often uncomfortable. But it's the way we're meant to live. One of my favorite stories to illustrate faith, it's a story of a guy who was a tightrope walker. In order to kind of show off his skills, he stretched a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And he, he walked across it normally. And then he walked across on skill on stilts and then he like rode a unicycle across and then he got a wheelbarrow and he took the wheelbarrow across and he put potatoes in the wheelbarrow and he took them across and he went up in front of the people and he said, do you think if I put a person in here, I could take a person across? And the crowd said, yeah, and he said, hop in and he found no takers. They were all believing up here that he could take a person across, but none of them were willing to risk getting in the wheelbarrow to go across. Jesus wants you and I to get in the wheelbarrow. He doesn't need a cheerleader. You can do it, Jesus. He knows he can do it. What he wants is for us to get in the wheelbarrow. That's what Peter did. Peter got in the wheelbarrow. And if it wasn't for Jesus, he would have failed. Now, notice that there was some hesitation. And I like this. This is where we see the Bible is honest about people. Launch into the deep and let down your nets. Now, when Jesus told him to put out into the shallows, Peter just did that without hesitation. Oh, OK. Yeah, we'll go over here. It's only a couple feet deep. Yes, this is great. I'm with Jesus. He's talking. Look at that. I, I believed him and I obeyed him. Now, Jesus says, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And Peter says, oh, "Whoa, whoa. It's a big deal. Now, we're going to feel like that sometimes when Jesus begins to try to launch us out into the deep. We're going to probably feel that. Whoa. I've tried that before and it didn't work. It's not who I am. That's not my character. That's not my skill set. We'll have all of these things. But in the end, we have to we have to do for followers of Jesus. We have to do what Peter did. Here's all the reasons I can't. Nevertheless. At your will. I will. That's faith. Faith doesn't mean we're not afraid. Faith doesn't mean we don't even have a talk with God about, are you, are you sure you want me to go and do that? But faith in the end says, it's a faith statement, at your word I will, and then faith actions, it does it. That is required if we are going to be disciples of Jesus. This walking by faith is part of the way that Jesus changes us. When Jesus leads us, he always leads us to walk by faith. He always leads us beyond ourselves. Because think about this. If Jesus never led us to do something that was beyond our skills, our abilities, our comfort. What would we need him for? He is always going to lead us to a place where we become hyper aware. I need Jesus. He must come through. Disciples of Jesus follow Jesus, they're changed by Jesus, and they're committed to the mission of Jesus. And that requires us to walk by faith in Jesus. Thirdly, we have to continually depend upon Jesus. Verse 8 When Simon saw it, he fell down on his knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What Jesus did. In the catch, made Peter realize Jesus was amazing. Jesus was awesome. And it brought, and rather than Peter saying, Look at what I did, I'm such a great fisherman. I knew that even in the middle of the day, at this right time, I could throw it at this right place. And by turning my hips like this as I threw it, I would have the right technique to hook all of these fishes. He says, Whoo, whoo, whoo. Oh, you, Jesus, you did this. You're awesome. You're great. You're amazing. In our lives, there will always be a temptation to forget how desperately we need Jesus. Right? Because when we come to Jesus, for initially, we all know we need Him. If we truly come to Jesus, we come sinners, broken, be down. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your goodness. But then Jesus does begin to to lead us and he does begin to teach us and he does begin to change us. And over time, what we can do is we can begin to think I'm pretty great. I mean, I am. Look at look at where I used to be and look at where I am now. Man, I've done a lot to get here. Jesus answers my prayers, not because he is good, but because, man, I'm good. I'm awesome. This work that he's done in my life, it's not because he is changing me to be like him. It's because I just realized what needed to be done. I knuckled it under and I made myself. There is. As the Lord begins to work in us and through us and for us, we are all going to be tempted that because of that work, we are better than others. And we have to constantly remind ourselves, I need Jesus. I depend on Jesus. Jesus told a story that illustrated this, right? He spoke a parable to those who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and they despised others. Now, there's two groups of people he mentions, right? A Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, the, the tax collectors were the worst sort of sinners. The, the Jews hated tax collectors. The Pharisees were the best sort of Jewish people in the world. Right? And the Pharisees, though, they, they had, I guess, changed. They lived in such a way that they felt they were better than everybody else. They would not touch Common people. When a Pharisee would go to the market, they would wrap their robes tightly around them and hold them for fear that their robe would touch an unclean person and they would have to burn it. They were just so much better than ordinary people that they could not stand to look at them or to be around them. And so these two men went to the temple to pray. Now, the Pharisee, he prayed like this. He prayed thus with himself. God Oh, thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice in a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. Boy, his prayer, he's awesome, right? I mean, you can tell he thinks he's awesome. So he begins to pray. He—he he First, he thanks God. Now He doesn't thank God for changing him and for God for making him different and doing something in his life. He thanks God that he's not like other people. I thank you. I'm not like these sinners that are all around you, God. I'm thankful. I'm not like that dirty, rotten tax collector over there. I thank you that, Lord, I'm better than all of them is really what he's saying. After telling God how much better he is than other people and all of these sins he doesn't commit. He doesn't extort people. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He doesn't cheat people by being a tax collector. He then begins to recite to God all of the good things he does. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You can just almost hear him saying, God, aren't you glad I'm on your team? God, aren't you lucky that I'm with you today? Right? Very self-righteous. Very full of himself. And then the tax collector prays. He stands afar off, right? He he won't even come to the front, to the close part, and he doesn't lift his eyes up to heaven where God is. He's unworthy. He lowers his eyes and he beats his head and chest in remorse. Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, he's right. He's a sinner. As a tax collector, he is a dirty, rotten sinner. He is a traitor to his people. He is a thief and a bully. He is unjust. He is an extortioner. And he is likely an adulterer. Everything the Pharisee prayed against is likely embodied in that guy's life. But he knows it. And so there's no pride, there's no, but God, I've done all of these other good things. There is just humility and brokenness at his sin. I am a sinner in need of your mercy, O God. Now, those hearing Jesus tell this story, their assumption is that's exactly the way it would be. And God is going to bless the Pharisee for being that good. And he's going to punish the tax collector for being that bad. And yet, the story reverses. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. Why? Why was a sinful tax collector justified and a physically righteous Pharisee condemned? Because the Pharisee was filled with pride. The Pharisee did not see or acknowledge his need for God. He had done it. He could do it. He did not need God. He wasn't dependent on God for his righteousness or his goodness. He had done it. He had arrived at a place. I'm better than all of these other people. There's no pride in the, in the tax collector's prayer. There's humility. There's, there's brokenness. A reality that he is desperately in need for the grace and the mercy that only God can give. Jesus ends by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Now, I'm telling you, that phrase ought to haunt our dreams. Because when we exalt ourselves like the Pharisee, we're setting ourselves up in a place where God himself will humble us. If you want to know how bad that is, read through the Proverbs and the Psalms. When God takes it upon himself to humble a man or a woman... It's not a minor thing. When I begin to say, oh, God, you are so lucky to have me. Oh, God, I am awesome. And you know it. God will take that personally and he himself will bring something into our lives that will devastate us to humble us. Or we can humble ourselves and God will exalt us. We can humble ourselves by reminding ourselves continually, I need Jesus. I am dependent upon Him for my righteousness. I am dependent upon Him to do what is right. My ability to do right things is because the Spirit of the living God empowers me. I'm not me. It's not me. Now, here's the the thing, though. Every one of us, every one of us that are disciples of Jesus Christ... We came in like this. This is the way we came into the kingdom. If we came to Jesus for salvation, we came like that. But over time, if we're not careful, we become that. There is a danger for each and every one of us to be exalted in our own eyes. To begin to look at the multitudes, at the crowds and to say, oh God, I'm thankful I'm not a dirty, rotten sinner. I'm thankful, God. I'm not an adulterer. I'm thankful, God. I'm not this or I'm not that or I didn't do this or I'm not like them. The moment we're thanking God, we're not like someone else. That's where we are. And that's who we are. Sadly, the church of Jesus Christ is often known far more for being Pharisees than being humble tax collectors and just saying, I'm desperately in need of Jesus day in and day out. This constant dependent upon Jesus, it changes us. It's ways that he works to change us. So if I'm going to be a disciple, I follow Jesus. I'm changed by Jesus. I'm committed to the mission of Jesus. But that requires me to continually depend on Jesus. And then finally, I learn from Jesus I live by faith in Jesus. I continually depend on Jesus. Then I join the mission of Jesus. After confessing that he is a sinful man, the Lord tells him, do not be afraid in verse 10. From now on, you will catch men. And so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all that they had and they followed him. But Jesus was changing them. And a part of that change was in the mission they were going to live for. They were going to be fishers, but fishers of men and not fishers of fish. It's it's important for us to understand that if I am a disciple of Jesus, I have to be involved in the mission of Jesus. I mean, when they got to land, they they left, they followed him. We, We are all meant to be a part of the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus to seek and to save those who are lost. It's not for an elite few. It is for each and every disciple of Jesus Christ. If I am a disciple, I am responsible. To try to make disciples of all nations. If I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, I am responsible to be his witness where I am. Now, when we talk about the mission of Jesus and joining it, I'm not so much talking about going and just randomly picking a house and being like, can I talk to you about Jesus? That may happen. But by and large, I'm not talking about that. By and large, I'm talking about going through life. And as you go through life, seeing opportunities to talk to those that you encounter about Jesus. I mean, you look at Jesus, right? And the things that he did. How often in what Jesus did, did he just go about life and an opportunity arose? How often did the disciples in the book of Acts, were they just going through life and then an opportunity arose? I mean, they they didn't typically set out to be street preachers. They were just going through life and something came up and they ministered to someone in the name of Jesus and something happened and it provided an opportunity for them to tell them about Jesus. Right? It wasn't a show, it wasn't going and knocking doors, it was just being attentive to life and the opportunities that come up. And we're all supposed to do this, right? Paul said that we're to walk in wisdom towards those who are without, redeeming the time. Now, those who are without, those are, those are outside the kingdom, those who don't know Jesus. And to walk in wisdom toward them is to be aware, of the times when the conversation can naturally turn to spiritual things. And when that time arises to take advantage of it. Right? That's how you redeem the time towards those that are without Is You go through your life. You live as salt and light. You let them see Jesus in you and through you. And at some point, something will happen. And you can begin to talk to them about Jesus and you'll see the opportunity and then you take it. You redeem that moment. Last year, I was talking to a guy. And somebody I ended up talking to from the children's hospital. Right. And we're talking about something that has nothing to do with Jesus. And he mentions his child is in the hospital and they're kind of scared. Now, I know what that's like. And so I said, hey. Before we got a I said, hey, can, can I pray for you and pray for your son by name? Yeah. So I'm on the phone and I get his son's name and I, I pray for him and I pray for his son by name and I pray for God to bless them and keep them and for his son to be healed and the doctors to be wise. And, and then I hang up. I never talk to him again. See, that was a redeemable moment. That was walking in wisdom. There was an opportunity there to, to see and to show him and to point him to Jesus. That, that's what walking in wisdom is. And we're all supposed to do that. Every day this week, unless we're hermits, we're going, to inter- we're going to interact with other people. We're going to interact with coworkers, with neighbors, with friends, with people our kids are in activities with. And in those times, if we're careful, if we're attentive, if we're sensitive, an opportunity will come up where we can begin to point them to Jesus in some way. They'll be able to say, man, I have been so stressed lately. And you can say, well, can I pray for you that that God would help you to ease that stress? Jesus has helped me in my stressful life. They can say, man, we're I'm not sure how we're going to make the budget this month. I don't know what we're going to do. And you can say, well, let me pray for God to provide for you. The Bible promises that God provides. Let me pray for that. My kid's sick and they're not getting better. Well, let me pray that you guys will get well. Or I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels in life. I just, I don't know that I'm, I want my life to be meaningful, but I just don't feel I am. Well, we find meaning through Jesus. Can I talk to you about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do? I feel a lot of guilt from my past. You know, when I was younger, I did a lot of terrible things. And those things weigh on me now. Can I tell you that there's a way to be forgiven and to have that guilt taken away? That these are ways that we can gear the conversation to spiritual things. And as we do, our speech is always to be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, with grace, of course, it means gracious, not rude or harsh, not angry, not yeah, now you should feel bad. Man, I remember you when you were a kid. You were a horrible human being. I'm surprised you didn't just die. God didn't just kill you, you dirty, rotten sinner. See, that's not speaking with grace. That would be gracious in our speech. Seasoned with salt, it carries with the idea of being effective. And to me, what I understand about being effective is staying on point. Right? Because if we're trying to talk to someone about Jesus, that's what we're trying to talk to them about. Right? We're not talking to them. About politics and we're not talking to them about the stuff going on in Gaiman. We're not talking to them about what other things that the world is upset about at the moment. We're talking to them about Jesus. And so we stay on point there. We don't get off into what version of the Bible we ought to read. We don't get off into whether or not we should wear long pants or shorts. We don't get off into into all of the the extraneous issues that we could possibly get off. in. we stay we stay with Jesus on point because that's what they need is Jesus above all else. Probably the best example of that in my mind is Jesus with a woman at the well. He he exemplified this, right? He's just walking. And he's tired. And he stops and sets at a well while his disciples go into town to get food. While they're in town getting a food, a woman comes out who needs water. And Jesus begins to use that as an opportunity to talk to her about living water. Yeah. Now, as the conversation begins to get pointed, she starts trying to divert into theological questions. Well, where do we worship God at? You Jews say it's here, but we Samaritans, we say it's over here. Jesus always guides that conversation back there. Now, he deals with her about her sin, doesn't she? He says, go get your husband. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had a couple of husbands and the dude you're living with now, he ain't your husband. Right. He, he dealt honestly with sin. But there was no, no, but you're a shack up, honey, right? I mean, mean, he didn't deal with them in any of these belittling ways. Honest about the sin that needed to be dealt with. Gracious, kind, staying on point. That's, That's the example we're to follow as we do this. And if we're careful, if we're attentive, if we're sensitive. These opportunities will come up in all of our lives. Maybe not every day. But regularly, I mean, this is a prayer. Paul starts before talking about pray. So if I pray, God, help me to walk in wisdom towards those that are without. Lord, when I see an opportunity, give me wisdom and courage to to redeem that, to take that opportunity. Let my speech be gracious. Let me stay on point and not get sidetracked. Listen, God wants you to be on his mission. He'll give you those opportunities. And taking advantage of this and being on mission that changes us. If you have never led someone to Jesus, you don't know the life changing power of seeing someone come to know Christ. It is amazing to get to be a part of a something so eternally significant as leading someone to Christ. If you can lead someone to Christ and be the same, mercy, your heart is hard. It is life changing. And when we follow Jesus, he is going to lead us to times where we are expected to be on mission. So disciples of Jesus, they follow Jesus, they're changed by Jesus, and they're committed to the mission of Jesus. Now, we're we're just about out of time. And I want to point out two things. One is, in verse 7, when the catch was coming in. Peter signals to his partners, and they come and help. Peter understood that they couldn't do all that needed to be done on their own. It took other people to do it. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. If you're a disciple of Jesus and you're following Jesus, and you're being changed by Jesus, you're committed to the mission of Jesus, you'll work with others who are also disciples of Jesus. You can't do all that needs to be done on your own. You can't even do all that needs to be done in your life on your own. We will always need other believers to work with us. We will always need to work with other believers to accomplish the mission of Christ. Because the mission isn't just for me to lead one or two people to Jesus. The mission is to make disciples of all nations. See our communities transformed. Well, you can't transform the community by yourself and I can't transform the community by myself but as we work together, we can have an enormous impact on the community. We will always need each other. You will always need the church. and You always need to work with others to be a disciple following Jesus. And one last thing. Is that Peter had this great thing happen, this great catch. That he would have missed out on had he not followed Jesus. Jesus absolutely wants to work In us and through us and for us to accomplish his will in the world. I can say without hesitation that is God's will for your life and mine. But we miss it if we don't follow him. We miss it if we don't go where he leads. We miss it if we're not willing to go where he wants us to go and do what he wants us to do. There is no telling what God could do. In us and through us and for us to reach our community for Jesus Christ. But I can promise you I know what he will do if none of us are willing to move. And that is nothing. He will not do a thing. We miss everything he wants to do when we are unwilling to move. When we're unwilling to learn. When we're unwilling to walk by faith. When we become lifted up in pride. And when we refuse to join his mission. We short circuit all the stuff He wants to do in us and through us and for us to accomplish His will. All of this takes effort on our parts. Right, let's stand.